Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We have already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence, so you will never work for someone else again. Successfully Unemployed, your place for freedom. So in my business, I absolutely know that I can be 100% a bottleneck. And a bottleneck meaning work not getting done or getting taking way too long or not getting done as well as it should because I'm doing it myself and I'm being frugal, too frugal to not hire somebody else out, even though I have a little bit of money I can spend. And so today's show, we're going to be talking with an expert on hiring other people to do the work for us. Now, what's amazing is when we hire other people to do the work for us, that they're better than us at doing that work. From there, not just being better than us, they can do it for a faster time, a faster amount of time, as opposed to us like spending 10 hours to do something that somebody else could do for one hour. Give you a huge example, easy one to take care of. My accountant does my taxes every single year it would take me literally 800 hours to do my taxes. It takes him, I don't know, three, four hours to do my taxes. So I absolutely pay him. And I realize if I'm able to pay him or if I'm willing to pay him, why not other things? And so my guest is coming on today showing us that we can hire other people to grow our business for us. And we can focus our efforts on things that we are very, very good at that make us and our businesses better. Now, I've learned that Hiring other people is the best way to go with my real estate investing business, with having passive income, because basically I don't work. I don't work. Other people work like my property managers, my contractors, realtors, wholesalers, inspectors, all those people do work. I absolutely don't do any work. I literally work 30 minutes a month. I said I do a little bit of work, I guess, but I work 30 minutes a month. And all I do is I analyze the statements that I get from my property managers. Other than that, I don't do a thing. Other people do the work. And I realize that that is passive income. And I'm hiring other people to do that work. And I want you to learn how to get passive income where you work one time and you make money over and over again. Get my best selling book, how to quit your job with passive income. Get it absolutely for free. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash free book, all one word forward slash free book. It'll be in the description as well. But I have a fantastic guest on who is an expert, created a platform helping other people connect with virtual assistants, and he's going to show us exactly how to do it. He sold that business for millions of dollars, and now we are in a place where we're going to learn from what he has done and how he's going to show us how to create good businesses with hiring, virtual assistants, and outsourcing. So, Nate, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It should be fun. I love talking about businesses and side hustles, hiring people, everything. One fun thing that we just learned about each other is we're both frugal. And that's pretty interesting that, you know, being frugal, it, it helps a lot. But then in business, it does get to be detrimental because as we outsource, which we'll talk about, as we outsource, as we get other people to do work for us, it frees us up to do more things, build our businesses better. So talk to us a little about what you do to provide for your family without having that J-O-B? Well, my last company, FreeUp, was just acquired, but I've been a longtime entrepreneur. I've been doing it since I was 20. I'm 30 now. And I, when I grew up, I mean, my parents were both teachers. They said, hey, you should go to college, get a real job, work for other people, get that pension, that retirement account, retire. And and that's what they did. They're now traveling the world. They did a great job saving up. I learned how to be frugal from them. So a, a lot of credit. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they did what 
they want to do and they have a great post uh, post job life now. But I knew at a young age that that's not what I wanted to do. And my parents always made me work these 40, 50 hour week summer jobs. Every winter, every summer, I worked at Aaron's Corporation. I worked at Firestone um, and, and a few other places as well. And I, I learned so much about just business and sales and marketing, but I also learned that it just wasn't for me. And that when I got to when I got to that point in my life to get a job, I was going to be miserable. So I kind of got a glimpse into the future. And when I got to college, I started hustling and I, I created a textbook company, a textbook business where I would take all that money that I made during the summer. At the end of the semester, I would buy people's textbooks at a discount, but I'd give them more than the school bookstore would. And then I'd hold on to the books and sell them at the beginning of next semester when all the prices went up. And I created a little affiliate program, told everyone about it. Before I knew it, there were lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off because I I was stealing too much of their business. So I've been an entrepreneur for a while. (laughs) I love it. And and yeah, that, that was my first glimpse into being an entrepreneur. And we can go on from there if you want. Well, that's something about being an entrepreneur is we see what needs are out there. You know, what solutions can we solve? And yeah, you know, college students, they don't have much money. They're spending all on Starbucks and eating out. So they need more money. And so if you're able to provide that option and then sell it back to, uh, you're just, you're taking out the middleman or you're the new middleman rather suppose of the school. So that is hilarious that they told you to stop. Uh, did you actually stop? I did. I mean, I mentioned my parents were both teachers. I wasn't trying to get kicked out of college. That would not have gone over too well. So it's funny. I actually have a college degree. It's up here. I got Dean's List every semester because if I was going to pay for my own college, I was going to get the most out of it. But I've never used my degree. I I pivoted from the textbook business to I I really had the concept of drop shipping before I even knew what drop shipping was. Really the concept that, hey, this is cool. I've sold some books on Amazon. It's 2008. No one really knows what Amazon is. It's really cool that that I have this 24-7 storefront. I just have to figure out what to sell besides books because I didn't want to get kicked out of school. So I started experimenting with the idea of finding manufacturers, vendors that would ship products, make products, ship products. And I would sell on Amazon. They didn't know what Amazon and e-commerce was. So I would go to them and say, hey, I've got an additional sales channel. All you got to do is keep my credit card on file, charge it, ship it, and I'll handle customer service. I'll handle sales. And then it became, okay, this is a a unique business model that actually makes sense for my situation because I don't have a lot of money and I don't have any place to store inventory. Um, What products to sell? And I did a lot of experimenting, throwing stuff against the wall, which I recommend everyone does. And I tried sporting equipment. I tried video games. I tried computers, typical college guy stuff. And what I eventually landed on was baby products. For some reason, I was good at selling baby products on Amazon. So if you can imagine me as a 20-year-old single college guy with a lot more hair selling millions of dollars of baby products, that was me. And and that business quickly took off. Now, you built that business and it's also leading up to where you currently are now and all the business that you have. But there is a time where that business didn't go very well. Talk to us about how that happened and then what you learned out of that. And then we'll go into how to actually create and scale a business like you've done. Yeah. So the Amazon business, I, I got a lot of success early on and I actually hired a few people, eventually hired what I called a manager of the day. And I spent six months teaching them how to do every part of the business, customer service, listing, repricing. There wasn't really any software back then or gurus or anything. So it was all my process and it was all manual. And on the flip side, I had this one baby product manufacturer that was awesome. They were doing like 80% of our sales. And I said, you know what? 
I don't care about the other manufacturers. Let's just work with this one and streamline everything. It's nice. It's easy. So I have this business on autopilot. I got one person running everything. I'm sleeping better at night. He's handling most of the workload. I got this one supplier I'm crushing it with. I'm on top of the world. I'm 20 years old. I'm making more money than my parents. No one can touch me. And I go on vacation, a much well-deserved vacation, I think, after six months of preparing. And on the first day of my vacation, I get three phone calls. First, from my manager of the day telling me that he was quitting on me to focus more on school. Second, from my supplier telling me they no longer want to do business with me. And Third, just to top it off, I got a call from my accountant saying that someone had filed a fake tax return in my name from the government, stolen $40,000 in my name, not my money, but the government's money. And I was going to have to deal with that mess when I got home. I went from this like unbelievable high to let's start this thing all over again and a really bad low. And that night I went out and I had a few beers with my, my business partner, Connor, at the time, who was actually one of, one of my first hires. And I mean, we just talked it out. We we're like, oh my God, like, what did we learn from all of this? Because if we're going to go back home and we're going to build this business back up from scratch, which we both wanted to do, we both said, oh my God, we got two and a half years left in college. We don't want to go out and get a real job. What did we learn? And what we learned was one, hiring college kids for important positions, probably not the smartest idea, but also putting all your eggs in one basket, probably not the smartest idea and teaching one person to do everything where if they quit, your entire business just stops. And so when it got time to hire again, we diversified and we did uh, like two people for customer service, two people for listings. So if one person quit, you're just plugging and playing that specific role, that specific task. And on the flip side, we said, okay, having all our eggs in one basket with one manufacturer, again, not the smartest idea. So we started reaching out to tons of manufacturers and we eventually worked with over 300 of them. And it wouldn't be the last manufacturer that dropped us either. It happened. So the next time it wasn't as big of a deal and the tax return thing ended up, it was a hassle paperwork wise, but I didn't end up losing any money or anything. So that worked out, I guess, the best it it possibly could. So it it was definitely an experience and I'm really happy that happened in, in year one and two rather than year seven and eight. Absolutely. And you learned so much going through that. And I love the idea that you have already, like just literally that same day, let's do, go through the, all the lessons that we need to learn through this, because there's so many things I find I learn so much and I get so much better when I actually fail as opposed to win. You know, when you win, you're like, yay, that was fantastic. Kind of remember it. But as soon as it's gone, like maybe a month later, six months later, right? Especially a year or two later, I can barely remember those, but my failures, I absolutely remember those. Those are ingrained in my brain. And I love, I won't say I love failing because I'm not, I don't, I actually hate failing, but I love the outcome that I can look back and say, what were those lessons that I can learn so that I can step forward? Example. So in my real estate rental property business, I started investing in 2006 and started buying property after property. I did so many things wrong. I lost 20, 30, 40, $50,000 doing things wrong. So I ripped those wrong things out of my business and I keep the good things, all the good things in there because those are what make my business better. So I completely, I love the idea of making sure you have your lessons learned. Now, as you're starting this new business, so I want to pause and say congratulations on selling your, your business freed up, right? You sold that business and you worked hard building that up. I wanted you to quickly talk to us about just get an overview of building that business up and then selling it. I mean, that sounds like a huge, huge accomplishment. 
Yeah. And one quick note on what you just said before. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you get so many highs and lows. And I feel like the first year of being an entrepreneur, like all the highs, you're on top of the world, all the lows, you, you want to like curl up into a ball. And as you get deeper and deeper, you kind of just get numb to the highs and the lows. When something good happens, you're like, all right, on to the next thing. And when you fail, you're like, all right, what did I learn? How do I fix it? What do I improve? Let's go forward. So that's just kind of something that, that develops over time. So the Amazon business I grew, we ended up selling over $25 million, never sold it. I kind of phased my way out of it. I mean, Amazon became much more popular, the gurus, the courses. At the beginning, we were like, oh my God, we're going to take over the world. We're going to take down Amazon one day in e-commerce. That wasn't going to happen. And we weren't selling other, we weren't selling our own products. We were selling other people's products. And on Amazon, you don't really have a brand. You're just one of a million sellers. So the business isn't doubling anymore. We're still making money, but we're not growing our own brand. We're not selling our own products. What do we really have here? And during this time, once I got frustrated with the college kids and no one in their 30s wanted to work for a 20, 21-year-old, I turned to the remote hiring world, the Upworks, the Fibers, and hired a lot of virtual assistants to help me with stuff. And I, we hired some really good people, but I also hated the process of posting a job, getting a hundred applicants, interviewing them one by one. And if so, if I hired someone, they quit on me. I had to start all over. And I kept looking for a better platform that I could just submit a request, get someone quickly that was pre-vetted. And if anything went wrong, I could kind of hold that platform accountable and they would just make it right. No questions asked. And I kept looking and looking. And when I couldn't find it, I said, you know what, I'm going to build this myself. So that was really the, the concept of FreeUp. We launched it with a, a $5,000 crummy software that did the bare minimum. People could log in and, and log out. And we took a, a Rolodex from our Amazon business of freelancers and VAs that we weren't necessarily utilizing and said, hey, we have these people. They're already vetted. We perfected our interview process after five plus years of, of being an Amazon seller. All you have to do is email me, Skype me, call me. You say you need a graphic designer. I'll have someone that can get going right away. And if anything goes wrong, you're protected. We'll make it right no matter what. And, and that was really the concept of the business. And we people loved the idea. We eventually ran out of freelancers. So we had to start recruiting freelancers. And, and then we invested more into the software and really became a software company and a marketplace that pre-vets freelancers, virtual assistants. And, and that business continued to scale. So we are organically scaled that from a million or from $5,000 investment to a million to 5 million to 9 million to 12 million last year. And I, I wouldn't say we went into the, the year with the, or the idea that, Hey, by the end of the year, we need to unload this thing. I mean, we definitely didn't, but in the back of every entrepreneur's mind, you're, you're thinking there's only so many ways this goes, right? You either run the business forever, you run into the ground, you get investment, which I personally don't want to do because I don't want to work for someone else, and or you sell the business. So those are really the options, give or take. So when we, when we got approached by one of our clients called The Hoth, they said, hey, we've been a free up client for years. We love what you're doing. We want to get into the freelancer space. Um, we don't want to start it ourselves. We, we'd love to talk about acquiring you and seeing if you are open to it. So like any other business situation that comes up, you're open to hearing more information, getting more information. And we spent a lot of time talking to them and learning about what their plans were, learning about their past businesses. Um, they made an offer that we thought was more than fair, if not aggressive. And and then it came down to the due diligence. And they had a million questions for us and we had a million questions for them. We wanted to know that they were going to take really good care of our team and of the freelancers and of the clients. And from that, I mean, all their due diligence 
checked out. I mean, Mark Hargrove, David Martin, they've bought and scaled other businesses. They have a lot more experience with $10 million plus businesses than we do. They won best place to work for in Tampa, like four years in a row or something. Um, and their clients are overall happy. Every time we told someone about the Hoth, they said, oh my God, I use the Hoth. They're awesome. So from there, it was a, a tough decision. And I think our internal team, that, that those VAs, that was the toughest thing, right? Like saying goodbye to them. We had built relationships with them. But we took $500,000 from the sale. We gave it to our team in the Philippines once we had decided on the agreement. We also made sure that their jobs, their raise structures, their bonuses were all um, kept in place and no one was going to lose their job from the acquisition. And then we made the decision to sell it. And I guess the last part that I left out was the the frustrating, annoying part, which the the mind-numbing part, the lawyers at the end, um, which wasn't their fault. It wasn't our fault. It was just the, the two lawyers doing their job and, and both sides were, were very professional. Um, but that part was pretty stressful. But that was really the, the process. And I don't know, if you had asked me 10 years ago, if I'd be selling baby products on Amazon, I, I wouldn't have believed you. If you asked me five years ago, if I'd be running a, a freelancer marketplace, I wouldn't believe you. And if you asked me a year ago, if I'd have sold free up and be working on my new venture outsource school, I wouldn't believe you. So life as an entrepreneur, you, you kind of never know what direction it's going to go. And entrepreneurs, we solve problems and you find problems. You're really good at finding problems saying, you know what? I can provide a solution for that. And I've used, I actually use Fiverr quite a bit. I've used Freelancer. I've used other sites in, um, in trying to find people. And you're right. It's rather rough to, because they have to, you have to do a lot of work to figure out which one is the right one to go with. And it's, it's a lot of work. And when one of those actually stops working for you, you're like, I just put in a lot of work getting you to where you can do work for me. And then now you're gone. It's like, oh, I got to start all over again. And so as I'm building a business, now let's say somebody already has a business. They have a side hustle. Let's say they have something that they know that they are the bottleneck. They are the ones that are working in the business and they want to start pulling themselves out and start working on the business instead of in the business. And they want to remove themselves as a bottleneck, even though they might like what they're doing. They just realize they could pay somebody else and they can do, make more money or serve more people by doing something else. What would you say is the first step to then changing our mindset and actually doing that where we are removing ourselves from the bottleneck of our business? Yeah. I mean, bottom line, hiring is really the only way to scale your business, right? There, there's very few solo $1 million a year entrepreneurs out there. That's hard to do. And even if you can get there, you're not going to get to 5 million or 10 million. At some point you have to hire people. So, I mean, the, the whole mindset and mentality it, to me that that's, not, I guess that's not really my focus in my mind. Like you have to hire people. There, there's really no other option unless you want to just keep your business really small. And even then you, you almost just created a job for yourself. That's probably going to be even more stressful than going and working for someone else because you're not going to be able to take weekends off and leave for vacation and, and all that stuff if you're the only one running your business. So that's kind of the mindset side of it. From the first step is look at your numbers. Look at how much money you're actually making every month and figure out how aggressive you want to be. We actually have a, a cool tool for that. If you go to outsourceschool.com slash VA calculator and you, can, you want to figure out, hey, okay, I'm making X amount of money. How aggressive do I want to be? Do I want to invest 60% of my profits? Do I want to invest 20% of my profits? I tend to be in that 20 to 30% range. And then from there, you can say, okay, I have X amount to spend on a VA. And if you use our tool, it'll say, okay, you can afford one or two or three full-time VAs, X amount of part-time VAs. And if you can't afford even a part-time VA, like ongoing work, think of it more project-based. Okay, what could I, how could I hire now to upgrade my website, to run some ads, to do whatever? So that's kind of the, the first step is understanding, okay, where am I really? What can I actually afford? Because I've seen so many people who 
skip that step. They dive into the hiring and they invest the time, the money into hiring someone. And then they realize they can't afford them. So they're out that person, they're out the time and all, all the money you put into them. So you really have to understand that. Got it. Now, as we're understanding that we, we start, okay, we know how much we can afford. Um, we know how much money we should put at just like a, an expense of marketing. Like if you're going to do Facebook ads or whatever ads, you have to account for that. You have to allot for that. And so same thing with hiring somebody else on. Now I love not having employees, like literally having, I've had plenty of employees in the past. I even had a, a commercial, um, uh, uh, convenience store. I had a convenience store where I had employees and it was like babysitting. It was so horrible. I hated it. I don't want employees anymore, but that's why I gravitate much more so to where you get outsourced like contractors or virtual assistants. Now talk to us about finding good virtual assistants. Like, is there certain places that we go? Is there certain things that we look for? How do we make sure we find good virtual assistants? What we know, once we know like where we're the bottleneck, pull ourselves out, get somebody to fill that gap. How do we then find somebody that's going to be right for our business? Yeah. So we kind of skipped a step here. So before you figure out where to find someone, I also recommend creating two lists. The, the first list of everything that you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis and put how many hours you spend, five hours, 10 hours. And I personally like to take stuff off my list by how many hours it's taking me so I can free those hours back. But you might prefer to just take stuff off your list that you just hate doing and you might move that to the top of your list. But by having that list, that's going to tell you a starting point and that's going to give you a better idea of who you need to hire. Do you need a data entry person? Do you need a customer service rep? Do you need someone for the phones? That list will help. The second list, which comes down a little bit later, is all the things you're not bad at. Average entrepreneurs are good at one to three things. And you shouldn't be trying to turn all your weaknesses into strengths. You should say, hey, I'm good at this. Let's figure out all the things I'm bad at and let's hire experts for all these things. So that comes down the line when you have a bigger budget, those people you're not getting for for five bucks an hour. But once you have that list of things you want to take off your plate, to me, I always go to the Philippines. I mean, we have a whole section about this in our course. I mean, they're hardworking, they're smart, they speak English at a high level. So that communication gap, which a lot of times is an issue for people who are hiring VAs for the first time, is an issue. Um, they, they work US times, are very used to that. There's a lot, I can go on and on about why the Philippines are so awesome. And, and I have great relationships with people in the Philippines. But in terms of place, I mean, I still recommend FreeUp. I'm a client of FreeUp. I negotiated a lifetime discount with FreeUp. So I, I'm a big fan of that platform, even though I don't own it anymore. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's lots of different marketplaces out there. But for me, if you're if you're like, hey, where do you want to hire your first virtual assistant from to do a very simple task and take it off your plate? I'm definitely going to the Philippines and I'm trying out the FreeUp marketplace. Got it. I'm going to have to look at it because like, you know, going through Fiverr, um, I've been kind of um, pausing that with Fiverr. So freelancer, I just stopped using those altogether just because I had so many negative experiences, not anything about the uh, freelancer at all. Like not saying anything about that. It's just, I, at least I didn't get what I wanted. so I kind of stay away. I definitely need to look at free up. That's something I really need to do. Um, so I love that you got us to think of the one step prior creating those lists to figure out what we're spending our time on, especially if you're looking at the things that you're, you're actually good at, but you probably shouldn't do. You can hire somebody else. Tell us about the next step. Like after we, we figure out what we should have somebody else to do, then we go to some site and try to find them. Should we find somebody that fits a personality like our, like we can actually talk to, or like, how do we know which person's the right person to pick? 
Yeah. So for me, I'm focusing on their experience and I'm focusing on their attitude. And so many people, um, they're going through and they're just looking for experience, your resume, your references, how many reviews you have, what skills you have. For me, that's part of it. But the attitude is really the most important because if someone's really skilled and really talented and they have a terrible attitude, that's going to be a nightmare for me as an entrepreneur. So we actually teach this in our course. I don't recommend doing video one-on-ones like like we're doing now. I recommend using Skype, using Slack, whatever you want to use as a chat and going through what we call our care method, looking for uh, how they communicate, looking for any red flags, looking for their attitude, looking for their experience. That's what care stands for. And, and that's really where you want to dive deeper is what does this person care about? Do they care about money? Do they care about stability? Do they care about family? And then what is their past experience? Are they new to being a VA? Have they worked for bigger clients before? Have they worked for people in your industry before? So diving deeper on, on those fronts, that's going to going to improve your percentage of getting the VA that's the right fit for you because even the best virtual assistants in the world are not the best fit for every single client in the world. That's a great point. Yeah. And I completely agree with attitude or also even just personal interaction. I learned a long time ago that I don't like working with people that just, we don't mesh, mesh. Like it, it might be me. Like it might be my personality. The person doesn't like or something, but we just don't get along. It's so much better just to say, hey, we don't need to continue doing business. Let's move on and find somebody else that actually fits, that we actually have, we gel, or it's it's not a rub when we're actually working together. So from there, as we're looking at, okay, we found somebody, we know wh- where we looked at, we found somebody that fits our um, our criteria and their experience. We also see that their attitude is actually, they're really helpful. They really w- want to get to work. What's the next step? Is What else should we do when we're starting to look for somebody that would take off burdens off of our plate? Yeah. So <laughs> the thing that a lot of people miss during this is People do the interview and then they have to train the person, right? But there's a step in between, which I call onboarding. It's really setting expectations. So you interview, let's say Bob, Jane, and Joe. Bob stands out. You want to hire Bob. You want to hire Bob for five bucks an hour, let's say. You go to Bob, you present Bob. Hey, I want to offer you five bucks an hour. And I want to make sure, first of all, you're good with that rate still. He says, yes. But before you accept this job, I want to go through what's expected. And what we go through is what we call our sick method. So we go through schedule. We go through issues and how to handle issues like emergencies, power interruptions, stuff like that. Communication. So how we communicate on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, make sure we're on the same page there. Um, and the last thing is culture. So how they're going to mesh with me and the rest of the team and what we're looking for there, really a no drama environment. Like you said, if you don't mesh, then it's not going to work out. So we go through the sick method. We make sure that they're on the same page. We answer any questions we have, and then we give them a chance to back out because We'd match, we'd much rather they back out before we start investing time, energy, and money into them than, than for them to back out two months down the line because they shouldn't have accepted the role to begin with because they're not on the same page with, with what we want. So to me, that, that's an important step that so many entrepreneurs forget. That's a huge step. I mean, having that perspective, because I don't want to be misled and I don't want to mislead them to where we have totally different expectations of what the job is going to be. And in the end, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. So that's fantastic. Now, if we were, as we're starting to hire people on and we're starting to find people, what would you say about, okay, I found somebody, their price, they seem really good. Their experience is really good. I like the way they talk, but their price is really high. Or I just don't want to afford that. What's your thought about negotiating? I'll pausing, pausing that like before you answer the question. I love negotiating. I'm a big negotiator. I love negotiating everything. It's a game to me. It's just fun for me. It's like, if you're going to say it's $10, 
I'm like, hey, hey, can we do it for like four? And then work our way. Like, I just have to do it. It's in me. But what are your thoughts about negotiating price? Should we accept exactly what they ask for? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So keep in mind, it's a little different if it's a, a one-time project versus someone that you're going to invest a lot of time, energy, and money into, and you want them to work for you for years to come. For the project, yeah, you can negotiate within reason. My, my biggest price is I don't want the price to, or my biggest thing is I don't want the price to affect the quality. So I want to make sure the person's happy at the end of the day. I, I like creating win-wins for everyone that I work with, whether it's a freelancer or a VA, a client, whatever it is, if I'm happy and they're not happy at some point, that's going to come back to bite me, whether it's short-term, medium-term or long-term. So yeah, if I get 10% off, that's great. That's me being a good negotiator, but I don't want them being like, wow, this guy's uh, this guy's mean to me or whatever, whatever whatever's going through their head. I want them to say, okay, that's still a fair price. I still want to do this and work my butt off. With, with the long-term roles, I'm very hesitant, especially for new people hiring VAs to to lowball because this is what happens. Let's say you Bob wants five bucks an hour and you're like, you know what, Bob, I'll hire you for four. Bob might really need a job right then and there. So he's going to accept that four. And then someone else comes up and they offer him five. And in his mind, he's worth five and he's going to leave potentially. So you have to be okay with the risk. I've, I've done it before. I've set up, when I first started free up, I hired some people at three bucks an hour. And I said, Hey, I'm going to make it so your pay goes up every time we hit the, our milestone was build hours. So every 500 build hours. And by the end of free up, they were making over 20 bucks an hour. They didn't quit. It worked out great. They were team leaders. They were instrumental in growing free up and selling free up. So that worked out, but that could have easily backfired on me too, where two months in, they got a higher paying job, but I was kind of okay with that risk just because I've been using VAs for a while. And I knew, yeah, it would suck if they quit, but I'd be able to figure it out and hire a new VA and onboard it, even though I'd prefer not to. So the, there's always a risk if you lowball from the beginning. I, I My rule of thumb is pay, pay people what they want to make or find someone that'll work for the rate you want. If you if your highest rate is 10 bucks an hour, go find people that want to work for 10 bucks an hour. That makes sense. And I also like, in, in like you said, we want to have a win-win. And so let's say, for instance, I'm hiring writers and the writers are saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to charge $50 an article. That's, you know, 1500 words or 2000 words. But I'm like, yeah, that's a little pricey. I have other people that are working for 20 or $30. Um, if I continually give you work, would you be able to come down the price? Like this is continual. So hopefully it's a win-win where you're going to come down a little bit. So you're giving, but then I'm also, I'm going to continually giving you work. Like that's obviously per, uh, per case by case basis where like you're working with one person, but I agree creating win-wins are the best way to go because in the end, hopefully all that time you'd put into getting that per that VA exactly where you want them. They're not going to leave. Cause that's the last thing you want is you put in lots of like, cause that happened to me where I was working with somebody. They wrote all these articles and I edited them. I showed them how to write, write better. Cause they, they were in, I can't remember which country they were in, but anyways, they weren't writing very well. They were using idioms that were just literally did not fit like an American, uh, the way American English is, it didn't fit. And so I went through all this work to try to help them to write better. And in the end, I can't remember exactly how, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, okay, you know, it's time to move on. I'm like, oh shoot, that was a lot of work put into that. Now I don't think it was price. I think it was something like, um, uh, anyways, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's a bummer when you do leave that or somebody leaves you. So from there, let's say we do have a business. We started, we, we accomplished all those steps. We have somebody that fits really, really well. How do we make sure that we continually utilize them? Cause that's one of my thoughts. Like if I'm going to pay somebody five bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour or something like that. I need to make sure that they're, they're not consistently working, but I need to make sure they're ongoing and they're not going to say, Hey, this guy's not giving me any work. I got to move on. What are your thoughts about like, do we 
plan that out before we hire somebody and make sure it's constantly having work for them every single week, every single month? Yeah. So a bunch of ways you can go about it. My overall mentality is I make sure everyone else is organized and has things to do before I work on my own stuff. So if I have a team of 30 people, they all should know exactly what they're doing. No one should be waiting for me. No one should be waiting for me to assign tasks. All that gets done first. That's like priority number one, because if everyone, if people are sitting there and waiting, that's just lost time. You're you're never going to get back. So that has to be your mentality. Um, eventually meetings and stuff like that will, will make sure that that gets done. I mean, for, for you as an entrepreneur who's trying to, to figure out what exactly you need, you should say, okay, do I need a full-time person? Do I need a part-time person? Do I need a five-hour-a-week person? And you, you, what you want to avoid is the on-call and urgent. You can't really hire a VA on-call and urgent. It doesn't exist. Where you just pop out of the blue and say, hey, I have work and I need it done right now. You might find a newer VA that will agree to that for a short period of time until they realize how terrible that is for them, but that doesn't fly. And as a business owner, you really don't own a, an operating business if everything is, is on-call and urgent. At some point, you need... Uh, like steady scheduled people to work. So start off from nine to 11 AM or five hours a week. I have a bookkeeper right now that I plan on using in the future. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pay you five hours every month. Those are my hours. Don't let them go to, to any other client. I made sure she was good with this arrangement. And, and if I don't give you five hours of work, you can bill me five hours. If I give you more than five hours, bill me the extra time, but I don't want to come to you in three months, months when outsource school is rocking and say, Hey, I have five hours of work. And you say, sorry, I'm booked to other clients. So that's one way to, to, to get creative and make sure that you're booking people's hours up front. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really all comes up to being prepared and understanding, Hey, how many hours do, do I actually have for someone? And you want to get it right. You don't want to tell someone you have 10 hours of work and then only give them five. And if you do do that, you have to set the precedent that, Hey, my word goes, if I tell you it's 10 hours, you can bill me for 10 hours, even if I only give you five hours of work. And in your mind as an entrepreneur and, and us two being frugal, if I'm paying someone for 10 hours, I'm going to make sure that they have 10 hours of work. That's great. Cause they're also counting on that money coming or they're hopefully like they, they're saying, I want to have continual uh, income from this job. So from there, it seems like we need to really document and have um, uh, processes put in place. What should we do? Because some people, like I'm not the biggest process person. I like creating processes, but at the same time, there are some people who are fantastic at it. One of my uh, guys, my mentor, sorry, mentor, my uh, membership, not I keep saying membership, uh, mastermind. He's fantastic at creating systems. He loves it. It's like his passion. For me, it's not so much. How do we make sure we have systems in place that they know exactly what to do and do it right every single time and lead them or set them up for success? Yeah. So SOPs, standard operating procedures are, are the key to any business. You have to start them. You can start them in a Google doc. You can make videos. I prefer Google doc, especially early on, just because your processes change so much and you don't want to be reshooting videos all the time, at least me personally. Um, but a great way to set up an SOP, and this is kind of my standard, is the top is the goals, the backgrounds, the why, the why they're doing the actual task. And so many people miss this. They just jump into, hey, step one, two, or three. With, and the VA has no idea why they're doing it. I also like to include maybe past hires that didn't work out. Hey, the two people before you couldn't, couldn't cut it because of X, Y, Z. Give them a background of what went wrong tell them what you're looking for in the future. So that top part needs to be a lot of information about the background. The middle and the juice of the SOP is the steps. You do this first, you do the second, being as clear as possible, assuming nothing. And you won't get it right the first try, but you can go back and keep adding stuff and keep clarifying it and eventually putting the, the VA in charge of owning that SOP and updating it as you change the processes. And lastly, another part that people forget, the bottom part, 
is the important reminders or the do not do for any reason list. If someone's monitoring my emails, I might say, hey, if my lawyer or my accountant emails me, don't respond to those emails and give them all the important stuff. Don't make all the important stuff just scattered in your one to 50 steps and they have to memorize it. Put those all at the bottom for them to really remember. Those are great, great points. Now I want to jump into what we should watch out for. Like what are some, maybe some mistakes that people do? I know we've covered a lot of stuff. So you, you, if you follow what Nate has said, you're going to have um, good success, but what are some, some common mistakes, common things that we should watch out for? Yeah, common mistakes that, that you should watch out for. So power and internet issues is a big one. Um, you, you really want someone who has backup plans. They, they can't be one issue away from not being able to work for an extended period of time. So when you're onboarding, you should talk about backup power. You should talk about, hey, can you go to a neighbor's house to work? If you lose internet, lose power. Uh, even my best virtual assistants lose internet and power sometimes. And sometimes there's absolutely nothing they can do. And, and that's okay. But we set the expectation they communicate at the high level, they have a backup plan, sometimes backup plans fail, and they actually try to get back to work as soon as possible. Those are, are really the keys. Other common mistakes, we talked about the diversifying. I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs that fall into that trap where hiring's hard, they, they make a few bad hires, they finally si find someone they like, and they just load that person up with everything. And they don't realize how risky that, that really makes your business. I'll say stuff from the client side, not being clear in what you want, thinking you're being clear, but not actually being clear. And then what we call our, our BARF method, which is a funny acronym, but it stands for getting them to, to buy in, showing appreciation, building a relationship and treating your team as a family. Because if you're going to invest all this time, money and energy into someone, you don't want them to walk away. You don't want them to leave. And I've talked to tons of virtual assistants and you would think that the number one thing they care about is money, right? Whoever pays them the most amount of money is what they care about, but it's actually not. It's, it's really the entire BARF method, the companies that get them to buy in, that show the appreciation, that build those relationships and that have a family. Because once you build a family inside your team, they don't want to leave, even if they're getting a higher paying job. So you got to figure out ways to protect your investment. Well, we're, we're both somewhat investment guys. And I uh, shouldn't say somewhat, we both are investment guys. And you have to treat hiring as an investment. You're investing time, energy, and money. And just like any business owner making an investment, you want to protect that investment. And that's where that BARF method comes in. So let's shift it just a little bit to being a virtual assistant. Somebody said, you know what? I, I want to become a virtual assistant. What what should they do? Or like, how, how should they go about doing it? Is it as easy as just sign up for one of the services and just putting a gig out there and say, hey, this is what I do. Is there anything else that we should be doing if we want to become a virtual assistant? Yeah, so make sure that that's really what you want. I've met plenty of people that think they want to be a virtual assistant, but don't understand what that really entails. And you really have to treat yourself as a business. You are a business and businesses have websites. Businesses go and find leads. Businesses market. Business keep track of their books. So you have to get in that mentality. And if you're treating yourself as a business and you're doing all the things around the business, then, then it becomes, how do you create systems? How do you create, create processes? What services are you going to offer? What's your price point? How are you getting clients? And you're really building a, a, a VA business, even if you just keep it yourself. And any VA business, whether you want to diversify, just like we talked about, you don't want to have one client where if they drop you, you're, you're out of luck. You want to build a client base and eventually hire your own assistant. And it's very similar to, to growing an agency or other businesses. 
So uh, one thing that I remember on most of the platforms is they want you to be exclusive to a platform and especially not try to take, a, like if you have a client that's ongoing, you say, hey, you know, let's just work together outside of whatever platform. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So I don't think they want to be exclusive. I know free up, you didn't have to be exclusive. Upwork Fiverr, you don't have to be exclusive. You can have profiles on lots of places. There might be some exclusive places. Those are more agencies than marketplaces. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm someone who tends to, to honor my, I should say tens. I, I honor my agreements. I honor my contracts. I know with free up, who knows? Like it's tough to kind of measure how many people are circumventing the platform. But um, I mean, for me, if, if I'm going on the platform to offer services, I'm going to stay on the platform to offer services. If I'm going to go out and find my own clients, I'm going to go out and find my own clients. And I've seen it backfire. I'll tell you a, a funny story. There was a VA who went around and got hired by a client outside the platform. And I, I didn't know about this. And then that client's company got acquired by another client on the free up platform. And when I was talking to the client, he mentioned that person's name who they got from the other business. And I let him know the situation. I, I kind of was in an awkward spot. I was like, listen, I'm not going to make you fire your person. All I'm going to do is provide you the information. So you just have the background and whatever you want to do is fine with me. Like I, I'm, I'm whatever. And so he ended up firing her instantly and replacing her. So it all kind of, sometimes it comes back to bite you just going around those platforms and circumventing the agreements that, that you agreed to. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we, and I like the idea of like, do we actually actually want to be a virtual assistant? Now, what's great about being a virtual assistant is you could, as long as you have an internet connection, you could probably do just about anywhere in the world. So if we want to then from being a virtual set, we found a few gigs, we're starting to, we actually like it and we want to keep doing that. Is the only way to scale, just get more gigs or is there any other way to scale being a virtual assistant to where we can, you know, eventually quit our job and do that? Yeah. I mean, building a, a VA team, building a team underneath you, it all comes down to, to systems and processes and packages. And for me, it comes down to getting creative. Yes. You could maybe charge an hourly rate. Maybe you can charge 20 bucks an hour, but what if you sold thousand dollar packages instead? And what if you sold a, a monthly package that's reoccurring? I mean, you can get creative on how you go about it. And, and I don't want to pretend to be an expert on creating VA businesses because I've never actually created one, but, but that's how I personally would go about it. So probably as we're wrapping up this interview, one thought comes to my mind, something I know, well, I like doing it and I'm pretty fast at it, but at the same time, it would free up a lot. So editing video and editing podcasts, I could absolutely utilize somebody else doing it, even though I'm cheap or like I'm really frugal. So I'm like, I could do it myself and I'm not, that doesn't take that long, but that would free up a lot of time. What are your thoughts about me utilizing a virtual assistant in the field? I don't, I don't have, I have no cares where they live at all. Philippines, Philippines would be great as long as I get a good quality uh, resort result, as well as, you know, paying, a, you know, not as like exorbitant prices, like a hundred dollars an episode or something like that. What are your thoughts about me venturing into getting a virtual assistant for all of my editing? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing it right now with the the first course for outsource school. I have three editors. I pay them around seven bucks an hour. They're crushing it for me. They're doing a way better job than, than I could even do. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm all about it. I mean, I see it all the time. Like you shouldn't outsource this or I can't outsource that. But I really outsource everything. And if I haven't done it, I've seen a client do it. We live in a, in a pretty incredible time where you just get access to people all around the world at different price points. So you don't have to hire full-time. You can hire part-time, flexible, project-based, however you want to go about it. And if you're not taking advantage of that, and it really is a competitive advantage against businesses from 30 years ago, your competitors are doing that. So I, I encourage you to, to at least try it out. 
you can always go back to hiring people in the US. If you outsource for a little while and you're like, I hate this, this sucks, which I don't think will happen, but you will, you can always go out and get an office and, and hire full-time people in the US. No one's stopping you from doing it. That option's not going anywhere, but you owe it to yourself and your business to at least explore the outsourcing concept. I love that. And you have outsource school and that's where, is that where you teach how to grow your business to with outsourcing? Yeah. So a few things I mentioned, like the BARF method, the care method, the sick method, we we're teaching. So we're building an education platform. We're starting with, with our first course called cracking the VA code, our IOTA method. And IOTA stands for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And we're going to teach you just how we do it. I mean, Connor and I have perfected a system over the past 10 years of using VAs, a lot of stuff we wish someone taught us back in the day, it would have saved us a lot of time, a lot of hassle, a lot of headache, and we're excited for it. We think it's going to help a lot of entrepreneurs. I've been asked for years how we built a, a 35-person rockstar team. I, I didn't just wake up one day and hire 35 people and, and cross my fingers and, and hope it worked out. We put a, a lot of effort into interviewing them and onboarding them and training them and managing them and making sure they actually stuck around and liked the company and even stayed with the company when we sold it. So, I mean, all of that is going to be in the course and and that goes well. We have a lot of other ideas from additional courses, but also software to help you with virtual assistants, bringing in different uh, guests and experts. We, we have a lot of ideas like all entrepreneurs do, but it all kind of starts with this first course that, that we're going to be launching in mid-March and after. That's fantastic. Now, I want to jump into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Awesome. So, after we quit our job, we're successful and employed. Hopefully, we're not working you know, 40, 50, 60 hours. We may, but at the same time, we have the opportunity to serve, to help other people's lives better, to be better. So what are you doing to give and serve either you know, the, the world or the community or your, your family? What are you doing to help other people around you? Yeah, so I, I'm actually, it's perfect timing. So we just finalized a partnership with Teach for the Philippines. So we're going to be giving a percentage of every course sale, not just courses, but anything we sell throughout Source School going forward, a portion is going to go to uh, Teach for the Philippines. Essentially, they help Filipino children that are in terrible situations that we couldn't even imagine living here in the U.S. and help them get education and become more tech savvy and have opportunities to become a virtual assistant or whatever career or job path that they want to do. So I, I'm a big believer in giving back to third world countries. I think we have it pretty good here and we're all pretty fortunate and lucky to be where we are. Um, and, and even going backwards, I mean, that was one of my most proud things of free up is the millions and millions of dollars we paid out to people in the Philippines and people were showing me their houses and their cars and, and things that they bought with that money. So I, I'm pumped for this partnership. We just finalized it yesterday and um, that's going to be a big part of outsource school going forward. I love it. That is so cool. Good for you, man. So next question is, if you were to look back on your life, hopefully you eventually, you know, once you're older, you're going to build, be building a legacy. What is that legacy you build, that you're building and how would it look like on your tombstone, like at your epitaph? You're going to write it out. This is what he's done. Like, what would you like to have seen on your tombstone? My biggest thing is I don't want to get to the top by myself. If I'm going up, I want to help other people get there too. Um, and and I, I want people to, to look at me as someone who honors my word and does business the right way. In my mind, there's just a right way and a wrong way to go about stuff. And if I'm not the right fit to work with someone, if, if I think that that someone is going to either hurt my community or hurt someone else. I, I speak up about it. I'm direct. I make sure I avoid working with those kind of people. And, and if you are going to, whether it's give me your money or your time or, or whatever it is, I'm going to make sure that, that you're taking care of it and you don't leave that being like, oh my God, he screwed me over or whatever it is. So that's kind of my overall mentality on life and business. 
That's great. So what would be a, one bit of advice other than get started? Because usually everybody always says get started is your first advice. But what would be your advice for somebody who has a business and they're realizing, you know what, I'm the bottleneck. I got to get moving. You've given us so much great information. But what's one bit of advice that we should take and use in our life? Yeah, find one thing. Find something that takes you five to 10 hours a day. And in the next 90 days, get it off your plate. In the first month, maybe throw some things around. Make sure you actually have a good system and a good process for it. By month two, do that process every single day exactly how it's written and really perfect it knocking out any kinks editing that sop by the end of that month putting in a request to free up or somewhere else and and finding a virtual assistant and then spend that last 30 days getting that task off your plate and it might take you less than 90 days but for me everything's a 90 day rule i don't want to do anything longer than 90 days without passing off my plate I love that. I'm definitely going to do that, especially for all my editing that I got to do, which I enjoy doing. It's not that, but it's just extra time taken up. So I, I, I have to do that. So you, you've definitely given me motivation. Now, the next question is, what is one bit of advice that you would give your younger self? It could be business. It could be life or anything. What would you give yourself? <laughs> oh, man, I would say to invest in real estate back in 2008 when I was making all the money from my Amazon business and, and maybe buy more Amazon stock, too. Uh, it's tough to kind of play that game. I mean, life has a a crazy way. I mean, obviously if I had all the knowledge and information that I had now, hopefully you would think that my businesses would have grown faster and I would have made different investments, but hindsight's always 2020 like that. And it's really tough to do. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely maybe would have said, Hey, entrepreneur is the right route because I went through years where I was uncertain. Hey, am I taking this internship that goes to a job or am I becoming an entrepreneur? So maybe some more clarity there. And I mentioned the what to invest in, which people can do every year forever. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my overall thoughts. Well, absolutely. And I'm definitely going to tell you now is the best time to invest in real estate. You know, the best time actually was 20 years ago. Like when's the best time to plant a tree? It was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So absolutely, investing in real estate, in my opinion, because that's how I was successful and employed. Bought 30 plus properties. And I realized, what am I working for? Like, I'm wasting my life here. I'm not, I'm losing money. Even though I'm making $75,000 a year at my job, I'm losing money working here. I'm out. So I quit. So yeah, real estate's fantastic. Now, the next question is, what is one app or tool? It could be a pad and paper what would you utilize in your, or do you utilize in your life that we should look to using? I use WordBoard. It's an awesome app on my phone that I put canned responses, stuff that I say all the time. Um, and it could be my calendar link. It could be, um, hey, would love to connect. I think that message that I sent you to connect with you back in the day, um, it has like links to all my social media and stuff. So whenever someone's like, hey, do you have this? Do you want to book a schedule? Or with free up, I had like the most common questions in there with outsource school. I'm sure it'll do the same thing because you just get asked the same stuff over and over and over again. If you have to type it out every time, that's hours and hours. So I just have everything can save in my phone, click a button to go. And of course, there's times that you don't have a canned response for it. But even if it eliminates 30% of the, the typing, it's just a great, I'm all about valuing my time. And what was that called again? It's called WordBoard, but there's lots of other ones out there as well. That's awesome. I'm absolutely doing that because I reply with the same things over and over again. I'm like, oh, I got to keep typing it out. And so I got a little smarter. And apparently in the keyboard on your phone, you can say pre-done, like I have my address, my email addresses. I like if I type the letters E and M for email and then number one, that goes to one email address. EM2 is another email address. So that's a quick way. But I love your ideas because there's so many like, like, like paragraphs that I could just copy and paste absolutely doing that. Love it. Now, last question is, what is one nonfiction book? It could be business. It could be life, whatever it might be that you would suggest that we should read. 
uh, check out Hashing Twitter. It's about the, the start of Twitter. And if you ever want to see what the behind the scenes of, of the not so nice life of being an entrepreneur, I mean, these are, are four guys who started off best friends, ended up really hating and resenting each other, became a power struggle, people stabbing each other in the back. And it's really crazy. And I think on the outside, we all just see Twitter and it's successful and you don't see the, the craziness on the back end. So definitely check that out. It, it's a really good story. Man, Nate, you've given us so much great insight, great wisdom. I'm definitely going to be utilizing outsourcing. How can somebody reach out to you? How can they learn more about you? And how can they find you? Yeah, so go to OutsourceSchool.com or if you want to check out the VA calculator, go to OutsourceSchool.com slash VA calculator. I'd love for you to check that out. You can find me on social media, the real Nate Hirsch on Instagram, Twitter. Connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook, Nathan Hirsch. And uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody listening, I'll have this in the description so you can go right to over and check out everything Nate's doing. So Nate, you're fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and all the wisdom you give us. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh man, I cannot wait to hire my virtual assistant. I am absolutely gonna do that. There's so many things that are on my plate that I absolutely need to hire out. I need to give it over to somebody else as opposed to me spending my time. I'd rather be spending my time with my kids as opposed to like editing podcasts or editing videos. So I'm definitely gonna do that. Check in the description. You also wanna go to his outsource school and go get his course. I have a link for that as well in the description. So, and you're gonna find so much more in the show notes about this entire episode and everything about outsourcing. Go to the show notes page and go in the description. It'll get the show notes page in there as well. And today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777 so you can see how you can quit your job that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, Share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.